This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I was crying before I even shook hands. Ni hao, Caitlin. Good to hear from you. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, how is it in China, my friend? China is fantastic, Caitlin. Actually, as you know of somebody who lived here for a while, the smog here in China is not um, great, but we are having tremendously uh, windy days here. And so therefore the wind is blowing the pollution away. And we're also now in a holiday, so as you know, when they're on a holiday here, they shut down the factories. So when they shut down the factories, there's not quite as much pollution. So on that note, it, I feel like I'm in L.A. Minor pollution, mm. but not Beijing level. Yeah, I got pneumonia when I lived there. I almost died. It was bananas. What, what happened? I lived in a hutong where they burned coal for fuel, <laughs> and I was breathing it in every day. And then eventually I went to the hospital, and they were like, oh, you have a lung infection. And I was like, a lung infection? That doesn't sound great. And my doctor was smoking a cigarette uh, while she told me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It got, shit got real. But I liked living in Beijing very much. So, a lot of stuff's been happening. Let's start, as we usually do, by saying thank you, thank you to all of the people who have made amazing suggestions for who we should have on the podcast. The list continues to grow. The latest suggestion that I love, Mirka Federer. Well, why not? I mean, what a great behind the scenes. You know, a lot of people don't realize, or maybe they do because they're Federer fans and they follow tennis, but Mirka was a very good tennis player in her own right, uh, which is how her and Roger actually met, which was at the Olympics. And then they fell in love and got married. And, you know, she was a really good tennis player in her own right, which has been helpful, I think, for Roger because uh, he, she knows the life. So that's been really good. But... Sadly, Roger's not playing here in China, so the chances of me getting Mirka are zero at this point. But having said that, we will endeavor to try and get her at some point, uh, maybe in Australia even. So fingers crossed on that one. Fingers crossed. You guys could talk tennis. You could talk fashion. Uh, Mirka has her shit together, uh, seemingly. She seems to run the whole Federer operation. So yes, Mirka. Another idea for 2019 is a rule change. You and I had a very spirited back and forth about a video that caught Spanish player Fernando Verdasco seeming to basically abuse a ball kid uh, for not bringing him a towel fast enough. This was all going down on Twitter. It is pretty reprehensible, and you had some really strong thoughts about it. Yes. Uh, obviously, our uh, Racket Magazine podcast uh, listeners are pretty cool and awesome. And 
well, because the, hopefully some of them follow me on Twitter, and if they do, they would have held, they would have seen my rant, uh, which was pretty, uh, was pretty, pretty aggressive. I'm not going to lie, but I'm so over it, Caitlin. I'm so over these professional players thinking that these kids are like their servants. And you know, having said that, even if you have servants, you don't treat them like this. Like he was such. He was, I, I, I mean, the word for him in that moment was just ridiculous. Listen, I was a player. I know what it's like to be out there and be stressed out. I wasn't exactly the best human being on the court. But when <laughs> it came to the ball kids, I mean, no chance I was rude to them. It's like, what are you doing? This kid is trying his best. He runs over there. He, like, gestures that he didn't move fast enough. And then the poor kid, God love him, he, like, nods his head at the end. Like, I got it, sir. I got it. Like, oh, my God. So enough with the towel. I'm so over it. Back 15 years ago, nobody got a friggin' towel. Steffi Graf would do the old finger under the chin, flick it, and Pete Sampras would do the, the finger across the forehead and flick it and, you know, maybe use their shirt. Wristbands, people. People wore wristbands. And you know what? If you're really desperate for the towel, they'd run over after a long game and towel themselves down. But now every single player, after every single point, wants the towel. And it drives me bananas. Literally, someone will get aced. And then they'll walk over and get the towel. It's like, <laughs> what exactly did you do in that time of telling yourself down and getting aced? It's like, give me a break. Half the time they're doing it to like, I don't know, like take their time. But back in the day, you know, people would, as we talked about, like play with their strings, turn around, walk to those sites. Like, oh my God. So the ATP, I believe, in the next gen, gen tournament at the end of the year are going to have towel racks. So instead of getting the kids to bring it to you, you got to go get your own towel off the rack, which I think is a great idea. And it'll stop all this bullshit toweling down after every single point. It drives me nuts. And yelling at kids, not okay. Yelling at kids is never okay. Especially volunteer kids who are there having what you have to assume is like a dream experience getting to be up close and personal with the best tennis players on the planet. Be nice to kids. It shouldn't be hard. Be nice to kids. Full stop. No. Shouldn't be hard. Let's move into this week's interview. While you've been in China, you nabbed our second player, uh, current player interview, and it's a great one with somebody who is a little bit controversial. Yeah, a little controversial, a little polarizing, I would say. You know, people either love her or hate her. Um, you know, players that, uh, people that, that watch her have that feeling. And they, and it's Coco Vandeweghe. And so Coco was over here in, is over here in China. She's had a bit of a rough year as far as her singles is concerned because she's had a few injuries and her ankle has been a real problem for her. She had to pull out of Wuhan in the middle of the match last week because of the ankle again and, um, struggled here in the first round but you know Coco's battling away of course she had an amazing um, moment about a month ago when she of course won her first Grand Slam doubles title and Grand Slam title uh, with Ash Barty in the doubles at the US Open so she's battling in in doubles and she's trying to keep her shit together in singles and um, but you know she's yeah she's absolutely polarizing on the court um, but the great thing about her is that she's super honest and she's very, very different off the court than she is on. I mean, she still sort of has that bravado when she walks around, but she's going to explain to you why she has that walk and why she has that bravado. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I like, I like Coco a lot and I, I enjoy my one-on-one -on -one conversations with her. We spent a couple of breakfasts together here in China and just sat there and just talked about life and talked about some stuff. And I thought, God, Coco, you got to tell these stories on the podcast. So you're going to get to listen to that today. The stories were great. She is super self-aware, and what I like so much about it, um, in addition to being an admirer of her all-court game that is 
filled with great volleying and obviously, like you said, spectacular doubles play, which is stuff that I love. Um, she's really self-aware, and you guys start at that moment where you kind of dissect her on-the-court bravado and where it comes from, which is, I think is a very, very useful way to understand her. So it was a great interview. I'm really excited for people to listen to it. Check it out and enjoy it. We are here in Wuhan. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm here with Coco Vanderway. Coco, thanks for joining me, mate. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, the Racket Magazine podcast, but you're going to have to now because you're going to be on it. You're officially yes, I'm going to have to check to make sure I'm represented properly. So, Pressure's on then. Pressure is on. <laughs> Speaking of pressure, so um, obviously growing up in your family, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, was it difficult? I mean, obviously, if people don't realize, um, you grew up in a very well-known sort of sporting family. Um, how was that growing up in a family like that? Well, I, I grew up in a well-known family in general, not just sports. Um, my lineage is insane. My grandmother was Miss America. Um, my grandfather was, as a patriarch of the family, was kind of the leader. He was... Um, going to medical school and playing in the NBA. He created the Staples Center. He worked for the president as developing um, the physical education of the school systems. I mean, he did all sorts of crazy cool things. Um, Then it goes to my uncle who played in the NBA, Kiki, my mom, two-time Olympian in two different sports. Uh, My aunt became a doctor um, but played professional horse polo. And then my other uncle, Brooke, uh, played pro beach volleyball um, and won a medal at the Goodwill Games. So I definitely come from a very sporty family, but just a very um, uh, courageous family and just doing so many different things and different sports. And everyone asked me how cool it is, but it's all I knew. So Mm -hmm. it was very normal for me to have... Success? Well, just famous people around the house being able to go and do different things like I could go in the Lakers locker room no problem I could go shoot baskets at the Staples Center and and I went to when I played at the tiebreak tens at Madison Square Garden people coming up to me asking me how my grandfather was because he played at the old MSG and just things like that were normal to me Mm -hmm. and it was more just fun of learning from different people that would come through my house. I thought all the people that came to my house were way cooler than my actual family. Like Bill Walton used to stop by my house all the time because he lived in San Diego. And I thought Bill Walton was the coolest person ever in comparison to my family. (laughs) But everyone revered um, my grandfather. Um, My grandparents lived with me. And so that was just totally normal for me to have these kinds of experiences. But looking back at it um, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty darn cool. And yeah. and when I started coming out on tour and people were asking me about it, I'm like, this is not a big deal. These are my aunts and uncles, just like yeah. everyone else has aunts and uncles and mm-hmm. my cousins and my family all in general is very uh, competitive. We're a huge family, but we're very close knit. And um, we are very quick to kick someone off their pedestal, even if they think there's some, somebody super important. So it's just the way I was raised. Everything was competitive, card games, uh, horse, everything was going to be competitive, whatever I did. Is that, um, I guess one of the questions I want to know is, and I think a lot of people want to know about you is cause what, what do you think the most misunderstood part about you is? Uh, thinking about your, the way you grew up. So what are some of the I think arrogance is one I hear a lot, um, and 
also I, I think bratty. Mm-hmm. I think uh, those are the two that I get a lot that I hear a lot um, or I get trolled by or whatever that is totally misunderstood. I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm like fan favorite anywhere, but I, because that's just not my personality. I, I even inside the close knit circle of the WTA tour with the players, like everyone knows I joke and kid and I'm probably one of the louder ones in the locker room, but and one of the messier ones in the locker that, that room. I can, that I can definitely attest to. <laughs> but as far as like being open and, and boisterous and, and, and going and talking to everyone, that's just not my personality. So I, I am definitely like run-of-the-mill in that area, but I'm definitely not the same personality off the court that I am on the court. It's just the way I was raised to be a competitor is who you see on the court of you know, wanting – to hate somebody so much that you can beat them. That's how I think of somebody, whether I do or not. Um, mm. You know, I can play one of my good friends like I did Ash, and I was in her face from the first game because I wanted to make that point that, you know, I'm here to compete and I'm here to win, mm-hmm. um, whether whoever you are across the net. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we talk about um, the misunderstanding of you being bratty or uh, sort of arrogant, et cetera, because you do get that a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you pretty well. So, um why, why, why do you think that's the case? And and tell people what it is about you off the court that is different to on the court. Then, um, arrogance. I I think it's more just the way I walk and carry myself, um, more so than anything else. Which is funny because that was how my grandmother taught me how to walk. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a pageantry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to walk in heels. I went to cotillion. I did all that sort of thing. Um, you know, did the Went to church every Sunday, so I knew how to dress to the nines and, and present myself. And that's kind of the persona I have when I walk into the room. She always said, you know, shoulders back, head held high, walk with a presence of, you know, you're not looking at anybody, but, you know, you pick who you want to go to if you see a friend and you go there. And people, t- and I walk around the court, uh, it's, I don't know, what whatever word you want to use, a strut. a um, yes, a strut. And it's a good strut. Yeah, and it's it comes off as arrogant, but mm-hmm. it's just the way I was taught how to stand up straight, shoulders back, head held high. That's just what I was taught, and it comes off as arrogance, but it's really just not. It's how I walk. You see me walk in a hallway, just the same walk in the hallway. And but what about but about off the court though? So what's the difference with you that people that don't see you because they don't follow you around or go home with you or hang out with your friends? What is it about you that they wouldn't know? I'm actually a very good listener. Um, I, a lot of my friends, I'm the person that they come to to listen. I'm not very in your face. I, I sit there. Um, I'm always, I give very good hugs. Um, that's what I'm also known for. Um, and you do. I witnessed that yesterday. <laughs> you hugging Bethany Maddox-Sands and lifting her about 10 feet off the ground. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not... I'm not the same person at all. I'm very quiet, introverted. It takes, I'm actually very introverted. It takes a lot of energy for me to go out and to interact with a lot of people. And I'm very tired at the end of the day when I have to do that. But one-on-one, I, I'm fantastic. I, re- I relish in those moments of talking one-on-one um, with somebody and getting to know somebody on that level because I feel like 
that's the best way I can articulate myself Mm -hmm. is when I'm one-on-one and I have someone's attention and I can see how they're reacting to what I'm saying or how they're presenting something towards me. But I'm very much a home buddy. I love being at home. I love having my siblings around and being a younger sibling and getting told what to do. (laughs) Actually, it's it's something that I I enjoy. Um, But... I think those are the, some of the things that off the court aren't seen as how, I mean, a lot of people were telling me about my older brother who came to the U.S. Open because he was, um, like a lot of the girls, I mean, is and because he was so um, passionate about watching his sister play and compete, mm-hmm. which is so funny to me because, I mean, that's amazing as a younger sister because my brother and I were teammates always. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grew up playing the sports together. We're only a year and a half apart, and... For me to have my brother like so proud of me and pumped and all this and just taking care of me, which was really enjoyable. I like to be taken care of. I like to be quiet and by myself at all at the same time. So it's it's really a catch twenty two with me sometimes on and off the court. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think people would ever think that about you. So I'm glad that you told people that. Uh, Fed Cup. I know. Um, how much that means to you. But you and I were talking yesterday about Fed Cup and your sort of memories of, <laughs> of go through the go through the history of your Fed Cup. Oh, the history of the Fed Cup. I was uh, it started from the bottom. I was a hit, Fed Cup hitting partner. Um, my first ever event. I was actually three years. I was a hitting partner, and I watched peers of mine playing, and I was still a hitting partner. Um, Mainly, probably the one that everyone would recognize is Melanie Udan. Um, where we were the same age growing up, going through the juniors, and I was a hitting partner for her. And I, my first time was in Moscow. Um, I'd never traveled overseas. I Seriously? Never. I my my family didn't have the money for me to travel. I, luckily, I grew up in California, where tennis was, especially Southern California, where tennis is very booming. So I never played ITFs. I never did any of that. I went to a regular school. I didn't have time, and my parents didn't have money for me to go anywhere. And so I went to Europe for the first time, and that was a shock. <laughs> that was a shock to go to Moscow. And um, then I finally got my first call-up onto the team, and I was my first tie was in San Diego, which was a final. And I was on the team, and I did not expect to play. I would just broken into the top 100 at the time. And the team was Bethany. Bethany and I weren't friends like we were. We are now. Um, Melanie, uh, Liesl Huber, and myself. We were a team in San Diego. It's my hometown. And I was scared out of my mind <laughs> playing. I, I was playing. We were playing against Italy, which was Panetta, Francesca Schiavone, uh, a little name from Vinci and Arani. Yeah. They were no names at that yeah. point. And ended up being a great team. Yeah, they were a great doubles team. They were great singles players on their own. But Panetta was uh, top-notch, and, and Francesca uh, had not won the French Open yet, but she was still a heck of a player. So the di- night before, I get uh, called up by Mary Jo after lo- a dinner, and she says, Coco, I'm going to put you in. Um, Melanie's going to sit. And Melanie had won every gosh darn t- match. You to- can say goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> we swear on the pod. And, and gone, all, got us all the way there, and I'm like, how the heck am I getting thrown in right now? I mean, I'd won a few matches in in Asia and, and propelled myself, but Melanie was higher ranked, and I was like, okay, I can do this. And I remember going into the locker room. I was second match, and I was playing Francesca the first day, and I was 
getting so nervous. I was getting sick to my stomach, and it's, I was dry it's, heaving. It's a whole different. Oh, I never right? experienced it. I worked because it was like my dream to play for my country. That's what I was raised to represent your country is the biggest uh, thing you could ever do. Biggest honor. And um, whatever sport you were playing, I just wanted to be an Olympian and represent my country. So Fed Cup is tennis's closest next thing to Olympics and. I was out there playing, and honestly, I couldn't tell you what the score was. I couldn't remember how to play tennis. Like, I, it was straight sets. It wasn't bad, but I definitely was way out of my league. And so I thought, oh, I cried after the match. I I'd never really cried after playing matches, and uh, I was for sure I was getting pulled out the next day. We were down 2-0. Melanie and Bethany were for sure going to go in. Mary Jo pulls out Bethany and puts Melanie in. Melanie wins her first match, so now it's 2-1. I'm playing again now to keep us no. alive and i'm like again panicking and i get spanked by panetta i think it was like only a single break or something i don't even remember but it felt like a night it, it felt like it was oh and oh it felt bad and i there's i was crying before i even shook hands because i was like i lost a tie for team usa in the final i in san diego in san diego in front of all my friends and family and i was just absolute wreck i drove home with my grandfather um that night i mean it wasn't far away but he stayed with me at the hotel to make sure i was okay and drove home and i was like this was terrible i'm never playing again and then my next one i was uh called randomly to go to argentina i was last minute i actually didn't even have any clay court shoes to go well because you didn't expect i didn't expect to play because venus and serena were there and i asked mary joe i was like you know she's What's my chance? She's like, you're not going to play. Don't worry about it. I was like, great, because Dubai and Doha are next. They're hard courts. I'm going to practice on a hard court if that's all right. Yeah, it's all good. I got thrown in because um, Serena, Serena sick. was sick that morning, and I got thrown in to play Ormachea. got spanked on clay. And I'm, <laughs> so you've had this auspicious start to your yeah, and career, I'm and you saying, think, I'm never going to win a match for I, my country. Never, never. I, I, I won a dead rubber doubles with Taylor oh, Townsend. It doesn't count. But does. I was like... I'm never playing Fed Cup. This is the worst experiences that I'm having is during Fed Cup. I feel like I can't play tennis. Like, it's so nerve-wracking. I never know what the heck's happening in front of me. And then we go to Australia. <laughs> so it's, it's, I'm gonna, it's, it's an interesting story because Australia ends up being quite an amazing place for you. Yes, it? it does. It keeps coming back for me. So we go to Australia, and this time I actually know I'm going to be there. I'm on the team. This is, like, for sure it's happening. I made... I'm the A player. Yeah. I'm ready well, to I go. I was an A player, but I knew I was going to play, yeah. at least, because it was Madison Keys, it was myself, um, Bethany, and Christina McHale. Yeah. The only reason I wasn't sure if I was going to play was because it was on red clay. Uh. <laughs> and clay is not my specialty at all. But Christina's very good on clay. Uh, Maddie Keys was number one, and Bethany uh, was better on clay than I am, still is now, so... <laughs> I get there and we're training and practicing and I'm, I'm good friends with Bethany already and Christina and I are friends, but as funny as it was, even though we travel every week, I didn't know Maddie all mm -hmm. that well. Mm -hmm. 
And I wasn't, there was like moments that you have to do during Fed Cup. There's, you know, uh, kids days, there's meet and greets, there's the press days and things like that. Well, and you're with each other 24 7 And you are with each other, but I hadn't practiced with her even because mm. I was practicing with Bethany. I was practicing with Christina. And it's like the third or fourth day and we're interacting at dinners and things like that. And, I'm, and I didn't get Maddie's sarcasm at all. Like I was missing it because I'd never interacted with her. Mm. And I'm like... I can't tell if she likes me or not. Honestly, like I, and it was actually Bethany. We're at dinner, and Bethany's like, "All right, guys, what's your favorite drink?" And Maddie ju- jumps quickly. Well, first it was Christina. Christina's like, "I don't drink really. You know, I don't know. I I like a mojito here or there." And Bethany's like, "Nah, it's tequila. We are drinking tequila when we win this." And Maddie's like, "I love tequila," and I'm like, "Same." <laughs> so you bonded. Over we tequila. bonded over tequila, and. Then it it was great because Maddie uh, won the first day against Dash. Um, Christina won the first day against Sam. So Mary Jo puts me in instead of Maddie to play Sam because uh, I had a good record against Sam, and she wanted me to play Sam under pressure to force it. I get I lose the first set, and you my, haven't won a singles match. Yet. I haven't won a singles match. I haven't won a live match. Okay, and I. Lose the first set, bad. I was playing bad again. And I'm like, this is it. My Fed Cup career is absolute crap. It's crap. This is ridiculous. I'm terrible. I hate Fed Cup. <laughs> like, all this stuff. I win the second set. I win the third set. I finally won my first ever tie playing Fed Cup on a surface I hate. Against a great <laughs> Against Cup a player. great Fed Cup player, a great clay court player. And, I mean, Sam was, like, top 20 at the time, and I was, like, 40 or 50 in the world. And so we had a great celebration afterwards. Bethany and I played uh, Dead Rubber Doubles. Uh, We had just won the uh, Indian Wells title together Mm -hmm. randomly when we were playing to see if we could play together for the Olympics. And so we go out there and we're playing. I'd sweat my tail off at Brisbane. It's basically indoors in that rafter arena. And I cramped serving for the match <laughs> in doubles. And I hit my first serve. I, I land. I go to swing at a forehand. I don't really reach it. And it's one of those bounces before the net. Bethany turns around and looks at me like, are you okay? I'm like, I am not okay. I am cramping in my calf right now. And I never cramp because I just, I, I never imagined that I could cramp, especially in doubles. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care what I do before, but doubles. Bethany's moving like a crazy person at net like she's doing enough of the work for me i don't have to do anything except get a servant and make a return every once in a while and <laughs> i'm like b we got we got a hold here like we got a hold we got tequila waiting we we have tequila waiting and i cannot play at their set here and somehow we hold and i had enough energy to lift her up and give her a big old hug and so I hop in the ice bath, and everyone's like, Coco, come on, we got tequila, we got a party here. Why don't you just put tequila in the ice I, bath? They didn't have it ready. No one was prepared. They didn't realize the kind of alcoholics they had on the Fed Cup team. <laughs> <laughs> now they're prepared. They have the alcohol waiting for us. And it's it's actually a running joke that, like, especially with Lisa and, and Kathy on the team now, and Bethany and I have been a staple on the team Lisa, for a little Lisa bit. Lisa Raymond and Kathy yeah. Rinaldi. Let's get it straight. Um, we were always like, all right, so we want some tequila. We want some champagne waiting. Like, none of this, like, bougie stuff for, like, the sponsors and everything. Like, the fancy red wines and stuff. No, no, no. We want the good stuff. We want the good stuff. <laughs> we want to pop a bottle of champagne and then get going. 
And so we we ended up doing tequila. We gave Christina McHale our first shot. Yes. Which she did not enjoy, but she did it. Um, but yeah, we had a great time together. We bonded and then we became friends ever since. Yeah. And, and then you ended up winning it last year. Yeah. What was then, that like? That was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. Because I'd worked so hard personally and as a team collectively to get to the final. I had sacrificed so much in my WTA season for Fed Cup. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was a huge sacrifice, you know, in hindsight into this year yeah. of how late I had to play, how many matches I had to play, and how much energy it took out of me to rally my team, be team leader at some of the instances, because Bethany... Which which you now, after telling people that, you know, everyone think, thinks that you're brash and you know, arrogant and all that sort of stuff because of what they see on the court. But what they don't realize is that you're not really that person off the court. No. You're not really the rah-rah team person, but you people make you that. Yeah. And they made you I, that. I get looked at to be that person, which is which is okay for me. Like, I lead by play. That's how exactly. I like to lead. And I, I don't mind checking other people just because, you know, I've been checked myself for my antics and, and things like that, and I... I can check other people, and, you know, at the time in the final, it was Sloan, myself, um, Shelby Rogers, and Allison Risk, and Allie Risk was dog sick, and Shelby uh, was had the bad knee, now she had to have surgery, and so it was Sloan and I, and Sloan hadn't been on a team, I'd been on a team with Shelby mm-hmm. and Allie Risk, so Kathy was making it a big point that, like, hey, Coco, like, we need to have Sloan be part of the team and everything like that. And Sloan's great in just being able to get yeah, and it's yourself. Get in. And, and But, you know, it's not always receptive, especially when you're texting and yeah. trying to figure out the stupid things that Fed Cup comes along with. What What's everyone going to wear for the official dinner? Yeah. You know, um, who wants to hit what times? You know, just dumb things. What food that, do you want to eat? Yeah, don't matter. But some people are like, Oh, this is really important. It's like, guys, like, who gives a crap? Like, for me, I'm super Southern California, super laid yeah, back. Whatever. Like, put me in flip flops and t-shirt. Whatever, I'll take the crappy time at eight a.m. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I'll take a nap. Like, it's not a big deal. And so it was, it, it was more tough for me to be like, all right, Sloan. I know you've had a great U.S. Open, a great time, but you really, Ali and and Shelby need to see that you're in this for team. Yeah. And Kathy as well needs to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I talked with her over the phone when I was actually in London before the tie, before we saw each other in China. Um, just, you know, kind of because I'd been getting messages from the other two girls and Kathy. Um, had I heard from Sloan and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm like, no, I haven't heard from Sloan. But honestly, like I've been playing and traveling mm-hmm. and it's not like I text Sloan every day. So yeah. I called her up and she's like, Honestly, Coco, I've turned my phone off since the U.S. Open because everyone's just, like, blasting me with messages. I'm like, cool, just, like, send the girls, like, a thumbs up. Like, yeah. that's all they need to make sure you're, like, aware that of what they're doing. And she was super receptive and was great. And it was a great tie together as a team and um, celebrated afterwards. Uh, Jenny Brady was there uh, as team captain cheerleader. <laughs> she actually uh, got smashed way before the press conference was even <laughs> done. And we have videos of us spraying champagne in the locker room and my trophy ended up being the trophy that everyone was doing the chalice out of like it was a communal chalice of drinking out of and it's a it was the stickiest thing i got back when i like unpacked my suitcase (laughs) my trophy was a mess and i'm like 
Oh, why my trophy had to be the one? Well, because you were the one. <laughs> I mean, you held the team together through thick and thin for yeah. the whole year. Yeah, I try. I went at it again this year, um, and, and we're you're in the, the finals. finals again. Yeah, I don't. Jesus. I undecided. You're starting a, dynas- a dynasty uh, here in the US know. again. You know. <laughs> well, maybe it's your family upbringing as well that <laughs> playing for your country is so important. So. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Speaking of countries, Australia, we're going to go back to that because now you have Pat Cash as your coach. Yeah. He's an Aussie. Yeah. You have Ash Barty. Your doubles partner, who's an Aussie. Yeah. What's up with the Australian affiliation here? And and se- secondly, I want you to talk a little bit about um, your role with Ash and the doubles and how much that meant to you. And congratulations for winning the US Open. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, well, the Australian connection was totally random. Um, I had, the only time I had ever met Pat before is I did an exhibition at Indian Wells, John McEnroe's charity event, and it was like a World Team Tennis deal. So that was the only time I met Pat, and we actually had a hit the next day. Um, and I never saw him again. And I was at the French Open, uh, not last, yeah, it was last year, last year French Open. Um, and the coach I was working with at the time, Craig Carden, and I stopped right at French Open. Um, I lost my singles. I was still in, in doubles and mix, but we stopped. It was had run its course and we both wanted different things and we're we're still friendly now and so I was basically ready to get out of Europe. You just needed a new voice. Yeah, essentially. I mean that happens. It it we had worked together for two years and it was stale for both of us. There were some weeks where I was super receptive. There was other weeks where he wasn't full on because you know, you travel Whatever. every it's week like, and it's yeah, it's, it's just, tough. it's, it gets tough. And if you don't want to do it anymore, you don't want to do it. And, mm-hmm. I, and neither of us did. So it worked out for the better. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm out of the French. I'm going Go home for some TLC because I just, Craig was, you know, super, I was super close with Craig and I, I just needed some TLC with my mom and my family. And so I wasn't planning on going home after the French. I was supposed to stay in Europe. Uh, I just bolted. I was out of there. I went you home. like doing that. I, I do, but it was kind of stupid, but it was well worth it. I was only home for three days. Three days before I was back on a flight back to Europe. Mm-hmm. And I get a call from my agent day one, and they're like, okay, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm just going to play the rest of the Europe grass court season by myself. I don't need a coach. Me and Nick Curious. Whatever. Like, I don't, I don't care. I don't need it. Like, I can't deal with this. I'm, I'm off on my own anyway. And they're like, that's, that's a terrible decision. 
I, I'm going to give you some options. So they gave me like three coaches options and Pat's name was one of them. And I was like, it's Pat. Like, why would, why would he be interested in coaching, you know, me one, but also a female player too, because he's such a legend in a men's game. You know, it's, it's like a weird concept. And I knew he had coached um, other players before and they were all men, Rosetsky and stuff like that. So he hasn't coached in a while. And so I, I said, well, if Pat's interested, like I love his number and I'll give him a call. So this is day two. Now it's countdown. I'm, I have only one more day left at home. And so I have a phone call with Pat and the second day he's in London and I call him up and talk a little bit. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you tomorrow. I'm like, cool. I'm going to be at the airport coming back to Europe. Um, we hadn't even decided to work together. So I was at the airport in San Diego and I get a call back and he's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think Wimbledon's enough time. I think we got to work. If you're all in, we're going to, we're going to finish out the year together. And I need your commitment to that. And I was hesitant because I'm like, I don't even know you. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. know how you talk when you're on the court yeah. and yeah, personality it, off the court. Cause it, you got to spend all the time with this person. Yeah. And you don't know me at all, so I was... You might hate me after Yeah, I mean, that happened. So I was like, I just was like, basically, screw it. Let's go. Like, yeah, let's do it. We'll go to U.S. Open. That was our end date. And so first tournament we play, I had match points against Whithoff and her Bosch first round I was defending champion. Oh, no, you and lost first round. I lost first round. Oh, shit. That not was my not first start with pat and i had and we went straight out to the practice court afterwards trained for two more hours out there on the practice court and then we were just breaking down technique 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 of every stroke of my game and simplifying and and doing different things and and uh working on obviously grass court stuff the volleys transition slice um cut to you make the court and uh, yeah then i he couldn't come to um, Birmingham, so I was solo Birmingham because he was doing commentary for Queens, mm-hmm. and I made quarters there, and then I make quarters of Wimbledon. I lose to uh, Magdalena Rebukova. Yep, and it was I commentated that match. It was such a hurting loss for me because I lost because I wasn't mentally prepared, and it shell shocked me to the point where I was like. I don't ever want to feel like this mm-hmm. ever again. Where mentally, like I, I was had good days, bad days, in between days. Yeah, your words but I never... actually were because I saw you. I think I saw you the next day. Did I see you the next day? Did I see you? I was there. After oh my god, I was there. Oh, I know. Till the you final practice. Yeah, but yeah. you said to me your words were, "What do you do when you just choke?" Yeah. I mean, you admitted that. You were I, just like, I, I com- just, I completely, for lack of a better term, shit the bed. Yeah. I completely did. I was. My moment, I next round, I believe I was going to play Muguruza. Did you feel pressure because you'd made the semis of the Aussie? No, I... The I is that right? Yes, I made semis, I lost to Venus. Yeah. I felt pressure because I knew I could make the final there. Yeah. Because I had a good record against Muguruza So what was on the grass. from that? The, don't look ahead. <laughs> One, but I ended up hiring a, a mental coach after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat recommended a guy, his name's Don McPherson. And still work with him now. And so I was there. And also another <laughs> pouring salt in the wound. Pat made me stay in London to the end of the tournament. And practice. Practice. Uh-huh. Where normally my MO is like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm going back to California. I'm parking myself on the beach. And, 
you won't see me for like another week when I practice two days before I play a world team tennis match. Mm -hmm. And then I go play Stanford. And that's, that's usually what I end up doing. And he's like, I was on the phone, you know, with my mom's like asking me, because I call my mom and she's like, what's, when are you going to come home? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at flights tomorrow. And Pat's like, no, you're not. You're here. I remember. You worked like, on your serve. Oh, your ball toss. God. We worked on simplifying the serve, um, simplifying the forehand, simplifying the backhand, ball toss of the serve, and all sorts of uh, things that pff, can't even keep track. And he basically stripped my game down from A to B, which I hadn't done since I created my game mm-hmm. and created my technique. How much does it? Um, do you think it, it changes throughout a career of a player? I think it changes constantly because if you're not evolving you're you're staying still and people are new players are coming Coming in in. new styles of game are coming in i mean you can't say that 10 years ago the same style of play is being played now even on the women's tour and physical it's just different so i had never had i created my technique and had the same technique since i started playing tennis no one had ever touched anything that i've that have done it just tried to control you and (laughs) sometimes (laughs) most of the time (laughs) In different ways, and I I had never had that. So I went home for two days after the finals of Wimbledon, and Pat joined me two days later, and we trained at my house and, and everything, and then we went to Stanford, and I made the finals, finals. of Stanford yeah. and lost Madison. to Maddie Keys. Um, Great match. And then match. we went to Montreal, and I was zonked. Yeah. I was zonked it's by the tough, time It's a I tough got, transition. Yeah, and it was – Tough transition. I was going to pull out if the fine wasn't so crazy big <laughs> because yeah. I knew I was absolutely not, zonked. Yeah, physically. And I wasn't going to be able to play to what I wanted to play, which is always hard for an athlete when you want to play well, at a certain stage. And you were learning, stage. right, at that stage how to ma- manage <sighs> playing a lot of matches because you really hadn't, hadn't had that consistency. And also, people forget how much of a mental toll it is to be changing technique. Yeah. You know, you, you're really good one day, and then the next day you're crap. Yeah. And you're like, why don't I just go? Why back can't to I just make like two balls in a row, yeah. like yeah. things like that? And so a whole thing was just like, and you make it to a final. I made finals of singles and doubles that week. Yeah. I won the doubles and I lost yeah. in the finals of singles. So I had tons of matches. Lost to Aga, who was like one of the toughest people you could play in a first round and be mentally like, I'm yeah. here to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I lost there. I go to Cincinnati after that. I'd actually went to New York um, for a couple days. I have some friends in New York and hung out and kind of just like put, put the tennis rackets away for like three days before going to Cincinnati. And I'm playing Maddie Keys again. Yeah. First round. Yeah. Tough three setter, but it was a good match. And I went to uh, New York afterwards, trained in the Hamptons for a little bit. Actually hit with Ostapenko a ton there. She was also there. Um, and How much did like all the transitional work change working on the technique mentally now you start to feel like you're one of the best players in the world which you were yeah you go into the open was, how special was that day with the four of you four americans in the semis of the u.s open and what do you what do you take from that, that it was tournament it was actually in the moment not special yeah because I didn't realize, you know, you're so focused on yourself when you're playing that I was like, who cares? But then afterwards, you're like, holy crap, that was a huge big deal. I mean, being an American, all four of us playing um, for a Grand Slam title, there's going to be an American guaranteed. There has that hasn't happened since like the 70s. Mm -hmm. And and it was showing kind of 
there was a moment of showing like the new guard of American tennis mm-hmm. versus the old guard of Venus, mm-hmm. which you know for for players to compete against Venus or Serena for a Grand Slam title, that's like you're playing against the greatest of all times mm-hmm. for a Grand Slam title. You, these are people you watched growing up, and I played Venus at Australian semis, but I had my moment and I got spanked again. <laughs> In the semis by Maddie Keys and Maddie played Madison's unbelievable. Madison's your like kryptonite and Sloane's Madison's kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. I, I the first time I'd ever played Madison was at Stanford, mm. and then we played each other three times in a row. Yeah. And I was like, gosh, I I'm gonna get. I was convinced. I was like, third time's a charm. I'm gonna get her this time. Like I was close the second time for sure. The third time, no. Mm. She played lights out. She played unbelievable, and you know it was another learning curve but I was like okay well now now we have Fed Cup to look forward to and I was super pumped to get going to get to Fed Cup and Pat informed me that I was probably going to be taken out of my doubles retirement that I had self put myself in because <laughs> he was forcing me to play doubles like in places and um, it wasn't with people I didn't want to play with. Like I played with Abby Spears, who's one of my good yeah, friends. Yeah. We grew up together in San no, Diego. Like, you were always a good pl- doubles player. I mean, I, I, I just remember didn't you telling. Play. I remember you telling me. I like um, playing mix better. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> a, little, a little bit less pressure. But you also told me how it was difficult playing with Martina Hingis when he, when Craig made you play. Even though it was good for you, it was difficult because you had a lot of pressure on you because she yeah. was such a good doubles player, and she was playing doubles only. And it didn't feel good for you because if you were tired and didn't want to play, you felt obligated to still play and still do well with her. Yeah. So what's the difference? And now also, with she was—I was following up her and Sonia's incredible couple yeah. years. Yeah, it was difficult. So every time I lost, it was like, Your oh, fault. my fault because it's, it's a new partner. No, it's hundred percent. This fault. and that. Okay. Yeah, for probably for sure. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't, I don't need this. Like I'm playing well in singles. Like I just want to focus on singles. Yeah. And so that's what I decided to do. And I also had a bet with Craig that if I ever won a doubles uh, Grand Slam title, I could officially retire. Or if I made Final Four of every Grand Slam, which I almost did. French is the only one that's missing if I made Final Eight Club. So you've now won the US Open. So what is it about Ash and what makes you guys um, click on the court and the personality? (laughs) I actually was – I've teased her about this a couple times is – First of all, she pulled me out of doubles retirement, yeah. one, and I'm like, not many people could have done that, and I had no idea who you were. Like, I, I mean, obviously, I know who Ash Barty is, but I was like, I had never spoken yeah. to her, really. Because no. well, you're both, now we know, <laughs> well, she's quiet on court and off, Yeah, but you are definitely quiet as well off court. Yeah, I mean, we, we jab each other a lot. We have actually very similar personalities in, in our banter and humor, but... Um, we play at Indian Wells as the first one because I was sick in Australia and uh, Tyson had Ash's coach um, talked to Pat asking if I was even interested in playing 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 doubles and I'm like and Pat's answered for me because I was sick with the flu and plus my answer would have been no no. (laughs) and so we go to Indian Wells and she she has her mom there with her and it's my first tournament since um I was sick in uh Indian uh sorry Australia and warming up and we actually lose in a tiebreaker like super close like 10-6 10-8 something super breaker and I'm like you know we were almost there like we were we were playing some really good points but we didn't, 
I didn't know her signals. I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we never had a conversation. When she'd come off a great, when she was playing with Casey, Casey, who does way different things than I'm yep. capable of yep. doing, yep. and. You know, she, she Hash was like, "Yeah, you can just lob this return." I'm like, "What, dude? I don't lob, lob. returns. <laughs> <laughs> I I hit through a return. I'll try and lob a return, but it's probably." Have you hit a, a lob return? I don't think I have. Oh, nor has that ever terrible. been my first well, idea. I, well, I try it. Well, uh, no one serves in volleys anymore. Well, maybe time. this year I'll lob. Uh, well, this tournament I we're playing doubles. Yeah. I could lob my first return. I play the deuce side. <laughs> so <laughs> to the Lisa Raymond lob. Jeez, Lisa's got to teach me that. And then we go to Miami, and I, I'm having a crap time in singles. I'm having a crap time off the court. My, you know, personal life is like, I, I really was like a mess. A mess. I hated the world. I hated tennis. And I was still beat up from last year. Yeah. I played till November 14th, winning the Fed Cup, was getting over the flu after Australia, and I was just in Miami, and I'm like, God, I hate this. I hate warming up. I hate going through stretches. Life I, was tough. Yeah, and here I am playing freaking doubles with Ash. Isn't it funny, though? Can I just stop you there? Isn't it funny that people don't realize that tennis players actually have normal lives that yeah. they have to deal with? Yeah, you, normal get, you get dumped. Things. You have your parents mad at you. You have your siblings mad at yeah. you. You basically, you know something broke in the house and you're like god i have to pay for all this you know yeah. whatever it may be yeah people don't realize that about you yeah right they just think oh there's tough coco what, what's her problem <laughs> why is she breaking her 10th record yeah yeah well it's few and far between but <laughs> i was <laughs> ash called me out on how many i claimed i broke during the u.s open but i'll tell i'll tell that when we're done with miami so we play miami and we play babos mondanovich first round and we win that in a Buster. And then the next round, we roll through. We roll through the next couple rounds, and we're playing Makarova Vesnina, who are the best doubles team at the time. And we we lose the first set. And I'm thinking, I'm like, God, how do you you beat these guys? Because they're so solid off the baseline, Mm -hmm. and they return so well. Makarova's lefty service is tricky. She places it well. Vesnina's confident at the net, so it's hard to, if you hit a crummy return, she'll... She does the right things uh, up at the net. And we sneak out the second set, and we're in the super breaker. And that was that was kind of the moment where I I felt like I, I picked Ash up with my energy. Mm-hmm. And I could feel – it's funny when you're, you're in a partnership and you feel when someone's nervous or you feel when they're not feeling their best or when they're yeah. jived up and yeah. they, they pick you up also. And I could feel I'm like, she's not confident. Mm-hmm. Why is she not confident? We're mm-hmm. going into – a buster. This is when you need to puff your chest out and throw your own Coco strut out there. It's the there. same thing as what I noticed in New York. And, same. and that was the first moment where I'm like, I got to kick her in the ass. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like when I was like, I, when she, I guess, deemed me team leader of the mm-hmm. team. Because at that point, we were even, she actually was leading me a couple times because I was still learning mm-hmm. from her. I had taken a year off a of double, yeah. so learning positioning and and is it more important like and seeing is it more important because I, I felt like that was the same at the US Open and I actually commentated your match and one of the things that I said was that I think one of the things that stopped Casey and Ash winning Grand Slams even though they were in a number of finals I know was that they that there was not a real true team leader mm-hmm. in the most important times in the finals yeah and I said I think the difference maker here will just be your personality not that you were better than Casey, not that Casey um, was better than you or Ash was better than you, or whatever it is. Doubles is really, truly a matter of 
somebody has to lead sometimes. And it doesn't mean they're better. No. I mean, I was and it, definitely and it changes. more the captain or the team leader of my teams. I certainly wasn't the best player. Right. Lisa will tell you that she was the best player. No, it actually changes. But <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask Lisa. <laughs> but it's, it actually changes for us a couple times. And not in a, in a way of like, because I get too hyped. Well, I'm the, I was the same. And Lisa was like Ash and I was like you. And Ash will be like, okay, rein it in. Yeah. Like I'll, you know, there's moments where you, you pick a fight over something and she just knocks me and she's like, cut right, it out. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, yeah, my bad. Or like you saw it at the US Open when I missed the overhead and I snapped the racket. I came back and I apologized to Ash because I was like, that's my bad. Yeah. Like I, I let my temper slip yeah. and my emotions slip. Like I'm here for you again. Yeah. And that's what I do well with Ash is I know that she's going to be the utmost professional for me. And that gets me to be the utmost professional for, for her. her. Yeah. And that was funny when you asked the question, when we walked out for <laughs> the, the U S open in the final of the question of who's the team leader of your team. And she's like Coco. And I was like, I wouldn't have said that, but, like, I would have been, like... God, I didn't mean to make you th- think that equal. much before the final. No, no, I would have been, like, equal, but maybe me sometimes because, you know, I, I come with the fire quicker and, you know, Ash has her own qu- quiet fire and our back-and-forth conversations is a lot of curse words and, and banter and, like, you know, I, I what's I'm the, always... What's the first Aussie word that comes to mind when you think Ash? Righto. 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 Righto, mate. That's a classic. I don't think I've heard that one. That's, she always says that one. Righto. Um, but it's like... On your mate. It's, I'm always a positive teammate because Ash sometimes gets down on herself. And I'm never, like, down openly because I've played team sports. So yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I have so my... why mo- did you pick tennis? Because I had a bad basketball season with a bunch of girls that were too catty. And I'm like, I don't need this. I can go play tennis. Really? That's it. So, I didn't like tennis all that much. I like basketball way better. So you, if you, had, which is probably why you play so well on a team sport, because ultimately you wanted to be on a team. Yeah, but I was you couldn't good on handle a team. the bitches. No, is what you're saying. You couldn't, couldn't handle do. the bitchiness. I grew up with guys, so the girl cattiness, I still don't get to this day. Mm-hmm. I grew up with my brother, all his friends, all older guys. They're a year and a half older, two years. And if I wasn't good enough, I didn't play. Did you think about ever going to college? No, never. never. I was never that into school. And if I was going to go into school, like, it'd be for studying and learning. Uh-huh. And I didn't care. I didn't care about school. I mean, I, Do you th- I there- knew the quota I had to make at school, which was oh, I was only allowed two Bs, and that was it. Everything else had to be As. But other than that, I didn't care. So that's interesting because wanting to be on a team, that would have been the one tennis experience other than Fed Cup I actually Olympics. played tennis for my high school. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you had that experience. I have a Letterman jacket. I oh, played God, varsity. Wow. Who would have thought? <laughs> All right. So a couple more because um, you've been awesome. But um, oh, quick, quick, quick uh, fire question. New York or Cali? Which uh, one describes California. you best? California. Oh, okay. Yep. Good, good, good. Do you feel with the results you've had over the last couple of years um, in the semis of a couple Grand Slams now, um, do you feel a pressure to win one? Do you feel like, because I've always said that tennis now has become a marathon rather than a sprint. Like if you're not winning a slam by 22, 23, you know, back 15 years ago, you're like, oh, <sighs> you're getting close to 30. Like it's time to qu- oh, qu- when, I, when I turned pro at 16, if I wasn't, that was when people were winning grand slams at 18, 19. Yeah. Do and you think that that has changed now? It, it's absolutely. particularly good for you because I always said that you, I always thought, 
felt that you were always going to be better older because I feel like you're an all-court player. I feel like you can come into the net. I feel like you can play from anywhere in the court. But I also felt like you had to learn a lot how to play yeah, tennis. Yeah, I was not a tennis player. Yeah. I was just an athlete. You were a great athlete. And Hit the shit out of the ball. I, I didn't know any point construction. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of that until about... First time I ever learned about point construction was actually I was 21. I was a, my, uh, Maszek, who was a Polish coach I was working with, was the first person that gave me point construction mm-hmm. of how to play a point you know, watching the game score, that sort of thing. Otherwise, I just played how I felt. So do you feel like <laughs> do you feel like actually winning the doubles in New York and having that experience in front of a packed house? It was packed. Yes. It actually was packed, yes. which was amazing because they came in for the men's singles and you guys played so long, you went into the men's singles. I know. Singles it was great, too, because the USTA let the lower bowl fill. And, t- and talk to me because, you know, this is part of it. You didn't actually get to do a winner's speech no because they rushed you off because of television you were backed up into the men's singles final yeah so coco here it is <laughs> here's your moment mate what would you have said if you'd got the mic that day first Which, of all can i, I w- just say is pretty fucking terrible <laughs> you didn't get that chance i agree i it's agree the it most was terrible. amazing moment of a player's career is actually and it may only think. happen once you know well, I, hopefully I suspect not. not hopefully not but so it may what would only you have happen said? once um, well, first I would have cried because it was super emotional. I wasn't even going to play the U.S. Open. I was going to call it a year because of my ankle. Yeah, well, um, that's right. Your ankle. Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to play. I told Ash at uh, Stanford, I'm like, I'm probably not going to play U.S. Open. You might as well, you know, find somebody else to play with. And she was playing with Demi a little bit. Mm-hmm. And doing well. And doing well. They won like no two events. No pressure on you then. I, Jesus. I, I kept giving her crap like I'm side chick now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would I would have probably cried because it was such an unexpected victory in the physical state I was in the tennis shape I was in um, you yeah. lost first round and singles. I lost first and round of singles semi-final points to defend I mean were you and I had only been pain free for about two days before that first round singles I was still playing with pain all the way till then I had to get an, an injection into my foot I mean it was it was it's still an uphill battle I still get it still gets swollen up every after every practice, every training session, every match. So, I would I would have thanked, you know, the whole obviously crowd because it was so packed and it was, it amazing was really electrifying. Yeah. And I'd only experienced that one other time um, at a smaller scale at Indian Wells with Bethany mm-hmm. when Bethany and I won. And I would have first thanked them, and then I would have obviously thanked um, my team with Pat and Scott and everyone behind the scenes because. You know, Pat and I were having a rough patch from basically the grass clay and grass court season because I was uninterested in, in tennis at the time still, and then I got injured. Mm. And I was uninterested to Take start again. Yeah. I was taking care of myself, but I was already ready to say, protected ranking, I'm not playing again. And mm-hmm. then when I found out it would cost me Australia because I needed more time mm-hmm. than the three weeks I had to get ready for the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And so you wanted to shut it down. I wanted to shut it down and be prepared for, be prepared for next they, year. But you had to be off longer than that to yes. get your protected ranking. Yes. Okay. So then I was like, oh, my God, my first Grand Slam is going to be the French Open. Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> that was honestly what I thought. I'm like, I called Pat up. I'm like, hey, I'm booking you a flight. We're going to try and play Cincinnati. So Pat and I kind of you know, came back together in, in a mutual understanding, and I rededicated myself to – 2019 and that was what what I'm still training for is 2019 and you know ranking be what it is I'm gonna get my ankle healthy but wait, I'm going you're to... still in your speech oh yeah no 
I'm in my speech. So I want to thank Pat. I want to thank Scott, my physio, who was there. Um, Julian, who was not there, who's been my physio all year. And everyone, uh, Dr. Ferkel, for getting my ankle better in time. And most importantly, my partner, Ash, for pulling me out of doubles retirement. (laughs) And also getting me my first Grand Slam out of two tries, which was less than her four. (laughs) I had to throw in a little jab in there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry that you didn't get that opportunity to have that speech. I'm yeah, sure. maybe if we play in Australia, the Aussies will do us better than the Americans did. I can did. guarantee you that you will get your speech <laughs> and your time in Australia. I told no I told Ash that. I'm going to come to Brisbane afterwards and we're going to play golf once we're both done with oh, the who's Australian. Gonna be, who's the better golfer? I don't know. I don't know. We have She's to see. She's pretty good. Yeah, I told her if we make Singapore, we're going to go play golf more than we're going to go play tennis. <laughs> Well, geez, we're in Wuhan. We're in the hotel in Wuhan here. And yeah, and it's turned DJ's into a disco club. Back, so, uh, so thankfully we're getting to the end of this uh, podcast because we've now got the music going. But um, uh, last question, um, two. Who was your idol aside from your family? Ooh, okay. Who was your idol growing up? Aside from my family because usually my, my grandmother was my idol. With no family. I know. Um, I would have to say the person I looked up to the most is... I like I was a like my kid Michael Jordan. Yeah, okay. Michael right, Jordan. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. And um, the last question: Who is the biggest influence in your life? Oh, my mom, hands down. Single mother raised me. Um, my biggest influence person I talk to pretty much every day. Who I call when I need help um, and look to for advice. So for sure, my mom. And Coco, um, to finish the year out, I know it's been a hard year for you with the injuries and, uh, you know, what happened to you. You had an amazing year last year. But um, this year, I think winning the US Open doubles is certainly going to be, obviously, it's a highlight of your career. Absolutely. So far. Um, you've had amazing results in singles. And I've told you this for many years, and you know this, and you can say this because it's my podcast. But I've told you that I believe in you and winning a Grand Slam in singles. I know that you have the ability. I'm going to get close. So. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm 2019. I'm training for 2019. Does it give you hope that people like Kerber and Panetta and Schiavone and Lena and all these players won Grand Slams at 29.30 to give you the impotence to think that you've got tons of time? I never thought about eight, the age thing. Um... But sure, I never even thought about well, I'm it. I'm telling you. Okay, then yes. Trust I will, me. I will look at them for for motivation that I can still do it if I'm playing tennis at 30. Right. Well, <laughs> Dirty Coco, 30. You will be. You will be. All right, Coco. Thanks for joining me today. I hope everybody out there understands that Coco might be that cocky, brazen sort of person <laughs> on the court. But like she said to me on the court one time, you got to fake it till you make it. And she is the queen of that because she's actually a very different person off the court. So I hope everybody enjoyed today. So. Thanks, Coco. Thanks for having hey, me. Amen, and good luck this week. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri, Taylor Dalton, and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.